Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Who Scored's very own Ben, who I never remember your surname, Ben. And we've also got Julian Laurent from Qatar <laughs> with us today. Julian, how are you finding covering the World Cup still? We were just saying before we started. So many games. I forget what's happened in the games because there's four a day. And you were saying because of the time difference, it's even worse there. Yeah, because our late kickoff starts for at 10 o'clock for us. So by the time you've watched three games already, it's 10. You've just eaten and then you watch the fourth, the fourth game of the day. And by halftime, you either half asleep or you just need a lot of coffee or teas to keep you going. But it's good. Like we said the last, the last time I was with you, I think the atmosphere is great. We live in an area where there's a lot of fans, uh, so you, you you really get the vibe of the World Cup. And even if the level has been a bit hit and miss, I think, for some of the games, you expect it to pick up now before the third game of the group stage because there's so much at stake, so many teams can still qualify. And then, obviously, the, when the knockout sta- starts, it's a different competition and you expect the big team, the big boys to be, to be, to be better, really. So, uh, no, but so far, so good. Yeah, I mean, the games are coming thick and fast. What, at the time of us recording now, I think some teams have got to play their second game still, but we're about to preview teams' third game. So the, the games are coming thick and fast, <laughs> aren't they, Ben? Yeah, uh, it's hard to keep up. Um, I mean, we finished recording straight away. It's like, right, time to watch another game of football. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, today's the last day, obviously, with the time recording. It's the um, yeah. last day of the four games. So... I mean, obviously, we'll miss the back-to-back-to-back-to-back kickoffs, but, you know, <laughs> only so much football we can take, really. Yeah, football burnout. I get football burnout sometimes watching, watching four games a day. And as I say, I can't remember what's happened in the game I watched at the start <laughs> of the day. But, Julian, you're always happy anyway, to be fair, but you'll be extra mm. happy because France have qualified and... Looking, pr- looking pretty good, uh, looking pretty tasty, I would say, friends. Yeah, the, the Denmark game was the, the test, really, because, I mean, no offence to Australia. I think I've already offended them by saying that when the World Cup extends to 48, we will have a, a lot of teams like Australia. I didn't mean to offend you people from Australia, but really the test was Denmark, a much better team than Australia, and I, th- and I thought France were really outstanding. Yes, they considered a goal on set piece, which is something, a, a bit of a bad habit for them. And there was a couple of good chances for Lindstrom in, in the second half and, and Braithwaite. But I thought overall, the control from, from that very young midfield was impressive. Griezmann is in that new number eight position was impressive. And then when Kylian is in that kind of form, you can put two players, you can double up, triple up, quadruple up, whatever you want to do. Him and Teo Hernandez on that left-hand side are so good together. That is hard to stop. And, and you feel really good after a performance like that because we had all doubts before the tournament and question marks. And so far, they've, they've, they've starting to answer the questions that we had. So it's looking good, yeah. Do you reckon Julian Mbappe is the only top-tier elite forward at this World Cup now? I just think there's, there are others, but maybe not in the form that he, he is at already. The, the first game against Australia, it took him a bit of time, I thought, to, to get into the game. And again, changing from Lucas Hernandez to Teo at left-back didn't help. And the fact that this was all new for a lot of the boys, same with Griezmann's new position, against Denmark, it was it was really, really unstoppable. And there's that clip that obviously has gone viral on, on social media where Christensen defends on him and he just goes, he, he literally goes, I'm going, no, I'm staying. And then Christensen falls on the floor. Uh, and he was, he was really, they were that scared of him. You could, you could see already they were that scared of him and, and rightly of him and rightly so because again, in that kind of form, if you add, I mean, the ball from Griezmann that leads to the yellow card for Christensen, the other Christensen, 
it's, it's, it's just perfect. But the run from Killian was outstanding and then no one was catching him. So, it's, yeah, he's, he's in top, top form. Maybe the, he's, he's the best player right now in this tournament, I guess, maybe within Valencia. Yeah, he's, he's so good to watch Kylian Mbappe. There's nobody like him in world football. The, the way he takes the ball, the way he drives at defenders and, and leaves them falling on the floor. Mbappe is, is just a joy to watch. Ben, someone else who's been a joy to watch over the years, Lionel Messi. Off the mark now for this World Cup. It was, it was looking a bit a bit torrid for Argentina out there. They obviously needed to get three points in their second game. And just when they needed a bit of magic, Messi provided it. Although I will say Mexico really, really didn't want to close down that shot at all. No, I mean, you could kind of sense the uh, relief in the stadium as soon as that ball hit the back of the net. Um, I think Argentina's 34-game unbeaten run came to an end against Saudi Arabia. And it was a case of how do they pick themselves up after such a defeat? Um, and you kind of got the impression that Scaloni didn't really know how to react to that. Um, so it wasn't the best first-half performance from Argentina, but then when you got Messi, anything can happen. And then Enzo Fernandez with the uh, cherry on the cake with an absolutely stunning second goal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be a huge weight off their shoulders. Um, it was just an excellent goal and exactly what Argentina needed to get their World Cup campaign up and running. Yeah, and Julian, you've been you've been covering Belgium, I believe. Every time yeah. I watch Belgium, every time I see their setup before the game, you've got it always seems a strange formation. You've always got players <laughs> playing out of position. And usually they get away with it, especially in the group stages, but they did not get away with it yesterday. That well, well yeah. beaten by Morocco. Well beaten by a team that has its own limits as well, because I think this this Moroccan team has talent, but they can they should and can play much better than what they've showed so far in the two games, a draw against Croatia and the win yesterday. But one, the atmosphere was incredible, really one of the best. I mean, we've seen yeah, Argentina and Argentina everywhere, but the Moroccans who have a very strong community here, living in Doha, uh, they were it, the stadium literally was like. In, Casablanca, it was like full of, of Moroccan fans everywhere and they were they were loud and amazing. And then when Ziyech is in that kind of form, just anything is, is, is possible. But that, that win was only possible because Belgium was so bad. And when I say so bad, uh, like I felt, I felt really sad for them and for that generation, which is a great generation that they had. It's, it's not often that you get so many amazing players like just coming through together at the same time. And, and yet, it very feels it feels very much like the end of the cycle. I think there's tensions between the players in that dressing room. It's funny because none of them, it's not funny, but none of them stopped in the mix zone afterwards. They all literally walked in front of us, and it's a it's quite big like zigzag thing. And and they just it's better not to talk sometimes. I think instead of saying stuff that would make things even worse, I'm not sure Martinez wants to be there. I don't think they want him to be there either. So it's it's not looking good. They might still qualify. They can qualify. Of course, there's the last game uh, for them against Croatia, but but it's something looks really, really, really not right. Do you think it's it's been a wasted generation, Julia? Because they they they're managing to make Kevin De Bruyne look bad at the moment, and that that takes some doing. I guess because they haven't won anything, you can say it's been a waste because they should really have been challenging more for Euros and World Cups. And I think they've all said it now that 2018 was the best chance, and and I think this was. 2018 was when they were at their best. That game yeah. against Brazil in the quarterfinals was outstanding. And then France was just more solid. And then it was a set piece. And those kind of games sometimes just, just go one way on thin margin. We know it. Uh, but but yeah, I think that was their chance. Maybe you were 2016 as well. Even if at the time, Vilmos was the manager and it was, it was not good at all. But still, they, they, maybe that was their chance as well. That defeat against Wales 
was was one of the toughest moments for that generation. So yeah, wasted maybe it's hard to it's a harsh word, but they should really have compete and and challenge more for titles, which they didn't. Not even a final. Yeah, and Ben Spain Germany last night. Germany looking in serious serious trouble. They obviously grabbed a late goal to get a point against Spain, which keeps them alive. But they're not really cooking at the moment either, are they? They aren't. No, uh, and it took that full crew sub to come on for him to come on and. You know, I think that was his third appearance for Germany and to have scored such a great goal. I mean, it was a case he, a lot of strikers there may have tried to place it, but he thought, I'm just going to hit this as hard as I can into the top <laughs> corner and lo and behold, rescues a point. Um, it was a really good game. I obviously expected it to be a really good game between two heavyweights. Germany obviously had that heavy defeat back in November 2020. That was their heaviest since 1931. So they wanted to get that. Uh, banish those demons, so to speak. The Morata goal was great. It was a lovely ball by Alba. It was that classic Morata near post run to beat Neuer off the outside really of his finish. foot. Um, mm. And then you thought, as soon as that goal went in, Spain will, you know, see this out. And it was quite surprising to see Enrique take Javi off because they lost a bit of control in the midfield when he did come off, um, and that allowed Germany to come back into the game. Uh, and then bringing full crew back on to have a you know a classic number nine up there rather than Thomas Muller, who was very isolated, very wasted up there. It it gives them that chance that they can still progress. I think they have to if they win by four against Costa Rica, they do go through, uh, regardless of other results. But you know when it looked as though they were crashing out with the group stages again, they managed to rescue that point and it was a huge point, and that should give them the confidence to go on and you know, claim that win that should see them through the last 16. But, you know, they weren't great, but they got, you know, a key point. It shows you the the importance of having people to bring on as well. Leroy Sane came on and, and probably tilted that game a little bit more in Germany's direction. Having someone like Sane to bring off the bench was really, really important. Right then, let's look at Wales against England. Wales in big, big trouble, Julian. But England, not the, not the best performance against USA. I can't really dress it up. I think that some of the reaction is over the top for, from journalists and from fans. But look, 0-0 against USA isn't a brilliant result for England, but... Bit like the Scotland game, wasn't it, Julian? That in the in the Euros, the second game, nil nil, nothing really happened. Probably England a little bit fortunate in some ways to get a point because I think USA had, had the better chances, much like that Scotland game. But last time England got to the, got to the final of the of the Euros, playing playing after that nil nil in the group. So the same thing could feasibly end up happening again. But it wasn't a good night for England. It wasn't a good performance, especially off the back of that Iran display as well. That's what bothers me the most. I mean, I was disappointed because I thought you had so much momentum from that Iran game. And yet you didn't press. You didn't play with intensity. You had nothing. It looked like you were not really prepared for what the USA. And again, we're talking about the USA. This is a, this is they've got good young players, but this is only this is still the USA. They they kind of tweaked tactically a little bit. They went it was more of a 4-4-2 really and it looked like you were not ready and then Southgate never really adapted his team to that to that little tweak from the USA starting 11 and the, I just don't know the whole thing was so flat I was like what are you doing the, I didn't like his substitutions I have to say um, I didn't like the fact that Harry Maguire touched the ball as many times in the USA box than Harry Kane this, that, 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 I don't like that kind of stuff and and you I mean, it's not against you I promise you that it's not against you but everybody keeps telling me about that Scotland game. Okay, this was 18 months ago. I could not care less. It doesn't, it, it, almost people are saying it to say like, yeah, but look, we've got this. We did it before. But, but this is a different tournament. It's not because you drew nil-nil with Scotland in the second game of the, the last Euros. 
that drawing nil-nil against the USA is a good thing. And that means that you're going to go to the final as well. I just, I just don't get that excuse of like, yeah, but it happened before and we were good after that. Yeah, okay, I hope you're good and because I think you, you should go far in this tournament because you have a really good team. And I don't know. I'm, you know me. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the manager. I, I, I find him more problems than actual, than actual answers. So maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. You're going to beat Wales because Wales are not good. And Bale and Ramsey are way past their best. And the rest is not good enough. So you're going to win and you're going to probably finish top of the group. But that draw just, I don't know, left me. It bothered me. I shouldn't, but it really bothered me. I guess if you finish top, no one remembers that game, do they? No oh, one true. remember that it. USA yeah, yeah, game. Yeah, but the, look, I, I, I'm the opposite of you. I, I think you know. I don't think Southgate actually gets enough credit because I think when England lose, everyone blames Southgate. But when England win, nobody really puts it down to Southgate. So mm. I think I think it's a, it's a little bit harsh. But you're right about England being surprised by USA. I think I, I felt like USA didn't trigger their press as much as they did in the first game, and I thought that took England by surprise, Julian. But I also thought England looked leggy and, t- and tired. That, that was what worried me more than anything. That, I know, I don't know, but that was how I felt watching it was yeah. England looked tired. Harry Kane didn't look fit to me. I don't know whether that was just me, but he looked a bit like he did in that Champions League final when, when he wasn't fit all those years ago. So those two things would worry me a little bit. Now, I, I'm with you. I don't know what's going on with Harry Kane. He obviously had a scan on his ankle. I I think it's hard for him to play. If you look again at the performance from England, and we, we don't have to dwell it too much, it was they didn't lose, so you know they still have very much that group under control. But it can't be fun for Harry Kane to play, uh, you know, to play in the team like, like it can't be fun for Sterling, who was completely transparent. It can't be fun for Mount, who hardly saw the ball. Saka maybe a little bit. He had that that cross for Kane early on in that first half. But sh- surely, if for your attacking players, it can't be fun to play like this. And and then don't even go into a Jude Bellingham who looked lost after being so good against Iran. Looked lost, didn't really know if he had to play a bit deeper, a bit higher up, but higher up the ball never came to him. Could not play between the lines. So, I, yeah, the, the, the legginess, I agree with you, but I don't understand why you would be tired when you've just played one game in this tournament before that. And then on the Ken Fitness, if he's really not fit, it has to be a worry, though. Maybe they've got the old football burnout like we have as well, as well Julian. We're just watching too many <laughs> games. It makes, <laughs> it makes you tired. It makes you tired, as, as, we, as we well know. <laughs> ben, I think Karen Carney said after the game, and I, I agreed with this point, I think England lost it. Well, didn't lose. England struggled in that game due, due to the midfield. I felt like the distances between the midfield were, were too far. Bellingham and Mount, it did just need one of them to stick a bit closer to Declan Rice. I felt like the, the distances were well off in that game. I mean, USA did, they didn't press as high as they did against Wales, probably because they felt that England are probably, you know, they are more dangerous uh, than Wales. It just felt like there was, as you said, that discontent. I mean, it was a case of maybe did. Mount pushed higher up alongside Kane. Yeah, he's there was too no link between the two uh, banks in midfield. I mean, we had them in the four-two-three-one, so it could be a case that Mount was pushed higher up, which to help maybe press the defence. And it just felt like there was a big gap between that midfield two and then the attacking three in support of Kane. And then obviously, if you get Mount pushed higher up towards Kane, Kane drops deep. There's no real like it, it gets muddled in that uh, attacking third. Um, it, maybe he should have brought Phillips in. I don't think that was probably the right decision. I thought the decision not to bring Foden in was a questionable one. Um, yeah. Southgate did say he doesn't play through the middle for Man City, but he did play through the middle for them last season before they signed Haaland. And yeah, he has played him out on the right or the left. But 
it was crying out for someone like Foden. And I mean, Southgate did say there's a lot of external noise um, regarding England at the moment. But I mean, ignoring Foden completely in the game that England should probably have won uh, beforehand, maybe not during the game because it was very even. USA probably had the edge. Um, but Foden, I think, should have come into that one. It's a, diff- it's a difficult one because you can only bring so many players on. But although I guess you have got you have got five subs, you obviously felt Grealish was the, the better option to bring on. And I actually think the Henderson sub that did help England, Julian, because I think he did give an element of control when he came on. I guess the big problem in the game was for me one of, well one of the other problems in the game was you've obviously got Saka and Sterling playing wide who who like to go beyond, like to drive. But USA had two very athletic fullbacks who who didn't really venture forward that much, so it kind of negated what they were good at during the game. So actually. The game probably ended up suiting suiting Grealish, suiting Foden, because they'd be more able to yeah. drive from deep, and and they're used to coming up against compact defenses. Yeah, completely. And again, we said about the changes. You can make five. I just felt for me after the hour mark, Southgate didn't want to lose that game. I even thought at some point, even before that, he didn't. He just he just played not to lose that game, which. I can't really comprehend, but certainly after the hour mark, it felt like, okay, it's a nil-nil draw, we'll take that right now. And let's just see this game out, which, which is why he didn't make more substitutions. Otherwise, you have two more, go and make them to try to win the game. But clearly, I think he was just happy with the way the game was coming, like, coming to an end. And you do the three changes, which again, but this is me, I mean, I'm, I'm critical of him quite regularly. I just, I just don't understand. It's just not what I would have done. But again, if you beat Wales, you're top of the group. We don't talk about that USA game anymore. And then you move on and then you see who you face in the last 16, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. You're not playing every game. But when he says, when he says, oh, you know, it's very rare for a team to win the three group matches in, in the World Cup, it's not because it's rare that you can't try to do it. It's like no, no one is telling you not to do, not to do three mm. games, three winning three games. I, I, I felt there was a lack of ambition in that game, which which bothers me because you're England and because you've got an outstanding squad, especially going forward. I think the lack of ambition, look, that, that's a fair point. England only created six chances against USA and four of those were short and trippier. Looking according to the stats in front of me, they got two each, while three of the four were from set pieces, which isn't great. I think England only completed five dribbles as well and Shaw, Maguire and Trippier. Completely three of those. Yeah, you, and Julian, you said as well, Harry Maguire having more touches in the in the penalty area than, than Harry Kane. That's not good. But Harry Maguire in general, I, I thought he was England's best player. And look, I've, I've, I've laid it to Harry Maguire on this podcast. I have done on social media. I, I didn't think it was, it was right him probably being in, in the squad. I certainly didn't think it was right him being first choice because he barely played any football. But hold my hands up. He was England's best player. Yeah, and and it's not me trying to so diminish the, the performance that he had. He had a really good performance. However, on defensive set pieces, so when, when the USA had a corner or wild free kick, Maguire is the one in the zonal marking, in the center of the zonal marking. So it's very likely every time, or not every time, but it's very likely that he will be the one heading the ball. Because everybody said to me, oh, look, he headed all the ball out. He was so, yeah, but he's, he's the the heart of the zonal marking on set pieces. So it's, it's normal that he would be where the ball ends, where that's where he should be. So hence why he, he cleared the ball a lot, but which, which was really good. I thought he was good. I think I like him and Stones playing together. I just don't think they're, you know, they're a re- reincarnation of Beckenbauer and Cannavaro. But I think that they're good together. They complement each other well. And even if he's only, it was only Haji Wright against them, let's be honest, I thought it was a, a positive performance. 
Ben, what did you what did you make of Kane? Obviously, I say this every week. You're you're a Spurs fan, so you've watched more Harry Kane over over the years than I have. Although actually, I, you you do end up watching a lot of Spurs because they're on the telly all the time. But did he? He just didn't look didn't look right. Didn't didn't look fit to me. Look look leggy. Wasn't doing the things that he's good at. Struggled to drop deep. Didn't really get on the end of anything until that set piece at the, at the end. Either in England were rubbish in general, as as we've said. But did Harry Kane, there was a big drop off from that first game to the second game, and that's where the injury stuff kind of plays on your mind a little bit. Yeah, I think you nailed the, the hit the nail on the head uh, by saying his injury. Um, it looked just like he did in the Champions League final against Liverpool. He was very cathartic. He didn't move quite as freely as he usually would. Um, I mean, I if I was Southgate, I would have probably rested him because he just didn't look completely fit for that one. And it showed England just were terrible in the final third. Harry Kane wasn't great. Admittedly, neither were Mount, Sterling or Saka. Um, it's a case of, has he really been that good for England at the World Cup? I mean, he's only had four touches in the opposition box, which for a striker of his calibre is very, very poor, especially against the round when they smashed him 6-2. I know he got two assists for in that one, but you'd expect more from Kane. Um it's just the issue now, England are basically through. They probably won't lose to Wales, touch wood. But it, it, it's, the, it's the case now of do you save him for the last 16 when you're basically through? If you get the Netherlands and you finish second and they finish top of Group A, do you then rely on a half-fit Harry Kane who has shown before that he isn't quite up to standards when he isn't fully fit? That's, again, an issue for Southgate, but... It's you know a tough one for Kane and tough one for England because you have to start Harry Kane essentially because he's captain. He is you know arguably England's best player. It's just that performance against the USA just didn't fill you with confidence. Yeah, Southgate, if he acts as I think he will in that third game, he's got previous for doing this, Julian. He will make changes for, for that last game. There'll be there'll be players rested. Grealish will probably start. Rashford will pro- probably start. Maybe Wilson will start up top in, in, instead of Kane. But when, usually when he has made those changes, Southgate, Kane's the one that he, that, he, that he leaves in. Do you think he'll leave yeah. him in for, for the game on Tuesday night? I hope not because I, I, I think he needs a rest. I really do. I think they've got enough to beat Wales without Harry Kane as well. We, I was with Alan Shearer on the radio on Five Live the other day for the France game and we talked about England before. And he said, like, any strikers in the world, whatever, whatever level you play, would hate your manager to come and say, listen, for this game, you need to rest. You're not fully fit. You would hate it. But I think you also can understand if you're Harry Kane and, and he's an intelligent guy, why Sadgate comes to see you and say, listen, this is the most important game is not this Wales game. It will be the last 16 against Senegal, Ecuador, Holland, one of the three. And then, and then potentially a quarterfinal, maybe against the French or Argentina, whatever. And then, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's no. I don't think there's a need for him to play in that Wales game if really he's not fit. This is if he's not really fit. Rest him, giving giving some time off. He can rest. The families are here. He can see his family for a little bit, and then he will be refreshed and can go again for the last 16. There's. I'm really hoping that he doesn't play. And again. It might be better when the Wales game comes and it, that might be his first goal. And after that, you know how important the first goal is for a striker in a tournament too. So there's pros and cons, of course, like in every situation. But but I agree with you guys. It just didn't look fair and, and it looks like he needed rest. One positive I can draw from that England game is if you can't win a game of football, make sure you don't lose it. 
And that's what Wales didn't end up doing. They're so close, so close to just getting that nil-nil with 10 men, Julian, that, that they need. Yeah. It would have been a great result for them in the end. Obviously, Wayne Hennessy, definite red card. Nothing you can do about that. He's got mm. to go. But they fell apart at the end. They conceded a couple of goals and they've, they've given themselves an uphill task now, haven't they? Yeah, massively. They can still do it, but they, they need like a mini miracle, really. I just, they deserve to lose. I think they deserve to lose that game against Iran. I think yeah, they were good. good. And, they created chances and they, we maybe had the perception of the England game, which was, I think, a, a, fr a free game, but but they're a better team than what we saw against England and they showed yeah. that against Wales. And and obviously now that big game against the USA with, with all the tension and all the drama and all the history around will be pretty special for them. For Wales, I just don't think they're good enough. Bale 2016 or Ramsey 2016 can take you as far as the semi-final, for example, which was already overachieving for them. But, Bale and Ramsey in the form that they are right now can't take this team forward. And it's a learning curve for the younger ones, which is good, and for Rob Page himself. But, but yeah, I think they, they're, too, they're too limited. Yeah, and Ben, I feel we're talking a lot about players' roles so far in this podcast, but Aaron Ramsey, I feel, has been wasted in this tournament by, by Wales as well. Kind of playing as a deep-lying midfielder in, in a two with three behind him. That's not what Aaron Ramsey's good at that that's not what Aaron Ramsey's been great at over the years Aaron Ramsey and Wales are effective when he's got a bit of freedom to break into the box and get on the end of things and get beyond the front players but he just hasn't had that freedom at all in this tournament and I think that's been a big reason what why Wales are flattered to deserve yeah I completely agree with you there um it would make more sense for Paige to have pushed him further forward in support of Bale and Moore or Daniel James I think the injury to Joe Allen has really hindered Wales in that regard because he would have played that deeper role mm -hmm. But then he's put Ramsey in there and they just haven't looked as effective going forward as when he would play in that attacking in that attacking role behind the strikers. And it shows because Ramsey hasn't played much football leading up to the tournament and he's just looked leggy in the midfield and the defence has been much more exposed as a result. Yeah, I guess against England, Julian, Joe Allen will probably come back in and play. He's yeah. important to, to them. It feels like at this stage he shouldn't be as important as he is. But in that, that midfield too, if you haven't got a passer in there, someone that can break the lines with, with their passing, you're going to struggle. And Wales have looked stodgy and they haven't made much happen. And the only goal they've, they've obviously ended up scoring so far is a penalty. Mm. If Joe Allen plays yeah. and Ramsey can move forward, that probably will help them. Yeah, completely. And also under pressure because you would expect England to really press them high and play in ways half and ways to be quite deep. So when Allen has the ball, you, you know he's, he's quite composed under pressure too to, to find the right pass or the extra touch, you know, whatever. So he would be very important for them. I agree. They, they've missed him badly. I don't know if Aaron can play as a 10 like he used to and make those runs. If physically he's, 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 he's good enough, fit enough for that. But certainly be added value and and on Padu, again he's learning. I think there's a good player there. But this World Cup is, I mean, this is the World Cup we're talking about. And I think having Allen next to him would be good for for him to maybe to just help him out really more than what Ramsey did in the first two games. Yeah, got to get their wing backs a little bit higher as as well. Wales, I think that that's a, a route to goal for them. The wing backs pushing up and getting some balls in the box. If they've got Kiefer Moore up there and Bale's very good in the air as well, you've got to get your wing backs higher and make mm -hmm. something happen. Ben, we've got a combined eleven here. Do, do any Wales players make the England Wales combined eleven? They do. Yep, uh, run through the team from the back. Jordan Pickford is in goal. Uh, Kieran Trippier right back Harry Maguire is partnered by a Dan Bardell favourite Ben Davies with Luke Shaw <laughs> come on Ben Davies in a turf 
Saka, Bellingham, Rice, Sterling make up the midfield, and Kane is partnered by Bale in attack. That's kind of by default, though, because Wilson hasn't really had the minutes, and uh, there really isn't anyone else to come in there alongside Kane. So, yeah, Bale, Kane, front two. Who was left back? Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw was left back. How many Wales players was that? Was it just Ben Davis and Gareth Bale? Yeah, yeah. the connection in there. Yeah, I mean, if we were... If we're picking a team seriously, Julian, not using the who-scored <laughs> algorithm, would, would there be any Wales players in, in your combined eleven? No. You just pick so, and players. my wife is Welsh, you know, so I mean, I'm oh, sure okay. that all the in-laws are going to watch this and, and I'm going to get abused. But yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think so. No, you can't. No, I, I don't think you can. Do you think England will go back to... Obviously, Wales play three at the back, Julian. Do you think England will go to three at the back for this one? Please, no, please. Please, just, just do that. No, yeah, might. please. No, no. They might. Uh, no, please, Gareth. I know you're watching. Please, come on. Let's let's enjoy this one. Let's go for it. Be attacking. Be open-minded. Movement, rhythm, intensity. All of that I want to see. I don't want to see a back three in this game. I don't think you need a back three against a team as limit as limited as, as Wales, like Wales are. So just go for it. Go for it. Score three goals, win three nil. And then all the kind of... Negativity is a bit strong, but all that noise after the USA game will be completely forgotten and then you can lose to Holland in the last 16. Oh. I'm kidding, I'm no, kidding. No, I'm no, kidding. I, I, I think there might be, might be a back three. Holland are worse even. They, 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 they can't even shoot on goal. So. I think there might be a back three. I think there might be Bellingham not playing. I think Trent might play though, which would be interesting yeah. to see. But I can I can see England going to back three because they want, they want to give Walker... Some minutes going into the knockout football, sure. so that for that reason, I think England might end up with a back three just to ease Walker back in and give him some minutes leading into that game. But it'd be yeah, interesting yeah. to see that team selection because I think I think there will be changes for England. Let's look now at Portugal v Uruguay. Not a long shelf life on this one as they're playing tonight on the day of recording, so we won't spend too long on it. But Bruno Fernandes, Julian, bit of a strange role for Portugal, not really getting the the best out of him. Then he, he changed role and instantly looked better. Yeah, I find it weird that he started on that kind of right hand side in a way. Um, just, I just think that Fernando Santos again. We go back to managers. We've talked a lot about managers so far, but still now, after having this this squad and this generation for quite a long time, trying to find the best position for Joao Felix and the best position for Bernardo and the best position for for Bruno and all of that and you're like come on man surely by now you should have worked it out what your best 11 is how to get the best out of them how to help Cristiano up front because clearly it's not going to drop him anyway and and the same but that game against Ghana had positives but also a lot of negatives and and this this is big tonight this is a big big game especially with Uruguay only drawing the first game it was a bit of a shaky performance for, for Portugal towards the end and the goals they conceded. And, and even Iñaki Williams at the end, almost nicking the ball of Diogo Costa to, to score the equaliser, uh, which would have been obviously devastating for Portugal. They didn't deserve to, to draw or lose that game, but, but still they were a bit shaky at the end. So it'd be very interesting to see how they approached this game against a, an Uruguay team that is better than Ghana and will play more than Ghana did. Yeah, so unbelievable it ends the game. I liked it when they, they cut to the bench and showed the replay of the bench's reaction okay. as, as all that was unfolding. That absolute classic. Diego Costa, I was raving about him to my mate before the game. So I was the best upcoming goalkeeper in world football. And then at the end of the game, he, he nearly causes a, a massive, massive problem for them. Ben, they did look better when Rafael came on, didn't they? Just, just a little bit more direct. Someone who's had, had a sensational 12 to 18 months in Serie A for Milan. Probably need to find a way to get him in, don't they? 100%. You you know, you stick him out on the left and they're much more expansive and push Shao Felix on the right. 
got a good front three there of Leal, Ronaldo and Felix. Ronaldo doesn't really have to do much because he has those two working either side. I was quite surprised that Santos did start Fernandez on the right when he had Octavio in the midfield three. I think Octavio is probably better out on the right than Fernandez would be. And it's no surprise that Portugal looked far more effective going forward when Fernandez dropped into that deeper role. Mm. But then it's a case of do you lose that you know, defensive solidity, that tenacity in front of the defence when you do put Fernandez alongside, you know, Banana Silva and Ruben Neves. Um, I, you know, you, you stick Liao in there though, but he's going to, defenders, defenders are going to fear him uh, more than they will do Bruno Fernandes, who doesn't look as complete a midfielder as he is on the right, as he is in the middle. Yeah, I mean, it's in the script here, but I thought it myself on the eye test, Julian, I thought Neves was a, a massive problem as a defensive midfielder for Portugal. So, so easy to bypass. He was dribbled past three times mm. against Ghana, only one successful tackle, and he's ranked as the sixth most dribbled pass player in the Premier League. Neves is a lone pivot. We say about, about like managers being neg- negative and stuff. That's a bold move. Yeah, it is. Although I, I didn't think the structure worked, like we've been we've been saying. I mean, they lost Danilo Pereira for the whole group stage now. Who played that? He plays a centre back uh, yeah. in that game, and he plays centre back for the Nationals. But still, he, he would have been an option as a central midfielder, either with Neves or instead of Neves. Same with William Carvalho, etc. You you see why he picked Neves in a very attacking side because of the quality of passing, of course. But you're right, defensively, as soon as Ghana finally thought, hey. Why don't we attack them a little bit just to see how they react? Then I think Neves was under was under under pressure a bit there. So I, I'm, we know that Pep is going to start at the back, which in itself is crazy next to Ruben Diaz. But let's see let's see what Santos does in terms of it. Might be the same eleven apart from Pep in, coming for coming in for Danilo. But I wouldn't be surprised if he tweaks a little bit. Maybe we see Rafael Leao for me should start every single day, like Ben rightly explained, and see if the midfield is the same as well. Yeah, because. You know, Uruguay, I don't think they clicked in their first game, but they have some really good players, especially in that midfield area, Julian. Benton Kerr and, and Valverde, if they do play to their maximum potential, especially in that midfield area, Portugal will get caused problems. Yeah, and I, th- I think the problem for me here is Luis Suarez. And I, I know it's sad to say because the guy's it's been such an amazing player, but right now he just doesn't look like he can play in the World Cup. And his performance against Ghana was terrible. He was really pathetic. If you look at the numbers, they even I think the numbers are even worse than than just watching on television or being in the stadium. It was it was that bad. And I just think Diego Alonso is not going to drop him, although I think he should. I think that as soon as Cavani came on against Ghana, you against South Korea, sorry, you see you, you saw the difference. And I think Cavani and, and Darwin are a much better partnership than Suarez and Darwin. But Suarez will start again against Portugal tonight and, and probably play an hour and then get subbed off. And I just hope for for Uruguay, for Betancourt, for Valverde, even for the for the fullbacks, that he's a bit better than what he was against South Korea. Otherwise, it's wasted. They play with 10 and, and they struggle. It's strange, isn't it? Because, you know, Portugal and Uruguay, they've both got these absolute legends of the game, legends of their countries, Ronaldo and Suarez, who will both lead the line for those teams. But... They would almost be better off potentially not not having either of the, either of them in the team and playing the players they've got coming through, but they won't because they've got these legends and they, they feel like they have to play them. It's almost like they're, they're shooting themselves in in the foot because Suarez just wasn't in the game at all against South Korea. I thought I thought he was a real tough watch. Let's look now at Group A. Netherlands are sat with four points. Look like they're struggling a, a little bit. Ben, they only managed two shots against Ecuador. But they have got the the next big thing in football coming through in Cody Gakpo. I think he's going to go on. And I know he doesn't play as a centre-forward much, 
But I think he's going to go on and become a proper, proper centre-forward. I completely agree. Uh, you look at the strikers that have come through the Eredivisie to then move to England, a lot of them uh, get a lot of stick. Uh, Bergwijn wasn't great, Memphis wasn't great, Vincent Janssen was pretty much terrible for Spurs. But then you overlook the success stories. Luis Suarez, Ruben Van Persie, Ruud van Nistelrooy, all were excellent in the Premier League after you know shining in the Eredivisie. And I think Cody Gakpo would fit into that bracket as well. He just looks superb. That goal against Ecuador was such a well-taken strike with his left foot. Um, but then it's a case of how do you get the best out of him and that Dutch attack. Uh, Memphis Depay hasn't been fit leading up to the World Cup. He's only made two appearances, both of which have been off the bench. Against Qatar would probably be the best time to get him back into the starting eleven alongside Gakpo just to confirm top spot. Um and then, as Julian pointed out, once a striker scores that first goal, they then build up that momentum. Kakpo scored twice already. Uh, and you want to get Memphis getting among the goals as well, because once that Dutch attack clicks, then you know they're going to be a test for any team. Yeah, Gakpo, I mean, I'm moving away from the World Cup completely here, Julian. Manchester United are going to probably sign a striker. They've got that num- number seven shirt now yeah. ready and waiting for someone. As I said, I know he hasn't played as a centre-forward, but he's six foot two. He's got a lot to his game, Gakpo. I really think Manchester United should go go all in on him, go, go big, because I think he, honestly, I think he'd suit them down to the ground as a centre-forward. Yeah, I agree. There were talks already in the summer, of course. Uh, I think Harry Ten Hag, like a lot of other managers, really, really like him. Maybe he was not just ready to come in in the summer, or maybe they didn't feel like he was ready. I think what he's, seen, what he's showed so far with PSV in, in the Europa League, for example, with Sermon and Arsenal in, in the League 2, Although I can I can understand some people's reservation about the Eredivisie and the, the level of it, no problem. But now to come to the World Cup and and play the way he did against Senegal with that goal and then against Ecuador, even if you just look at the goals, how he took them, the the the, the difference in, into the two goals in terms of the run and the the, the way he finished it, is very impressive. And he's still so young, and I think he he, he strikes you as someone who wants to learn, who who's got that kind of personality. So I, yeah, whoever going to sign him, uh, I think, whether it's Manchester United or someone else in, in England or, or somewhere else, could have a, a real gem on their hands. You still need to be polished a little bit and there's still clearly a lot of room for improvement, but already the the start of it is pretty high. Yeah, because I think by the end of the summer transfer window, I think I saw he was being linked with Leeds and Southampton. Uh, yeah. Gakpo is, he's, 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 no, no, no offence to Leeds and, and Southampton at all, but Gakpo is a Champions League level player, I, I would say. Manchester United can snap him up. I think they'll do very well to do so in January. Another striker who's looking hot at the moment, Ben, is Enna Valencia. He did go off on, in the game. He was seen walking with, with, with an ice pack. So there's a lot there's a lot resting on his fitness. They'd need to get him fit, although they've really got a good chance of getting out of this group so far. Ecuador, three goals I think Enna Valencia's got so far. Could, could have had more in the Qatar game as well. Is he an outside chance for the Golden Boot? Uh, I, I mean, he's got three goals already. He's Ecuador's main striking threat and he's on penalties as well. So... They do have to avoid that defeat to Senegal to secure their spot in the last 16. Um, A lot is riding on that fitness of him. Um, I wouldn't have thought he would have scored three goals by this stage already, but obviously they played guitar and he should have had a, arguably should have had a fourth bar margin offside. An outside, Golden Bay outsider, probably, he probably won't get it. I mean, let's be honest, Mbappe is already on three goals. You've got Gakpo on two as well and you know Netherlands play Qatar on um, Tuesday afternoon so it's a tough one but they need they do need him to be fit for the Senegal game if they are to 
make it through to the last 16. I might put some money on Cody Gakpa for the Golden Boot, to be honest with them, playing Qatar on, on, on Tuesday. That, that could be a, could be end up being a goal fest. What I liked about that was I asked the question that you put in the script about Ener Valencia for the Golden Boot, and you answered it, go by go, uh, as if it was a, like a really <laughs> stupid question. But it's your question. <laughs> you, put it, you put it in the script, <laughs> in the script made, made, made me laugh. Um, Julian, right then, who is going to win the World Cup based on what you've seen so far? I'm glad you're asking me the question because you already know the answer and everybody does. Um England. England, of course yeah. it is. I mean, I don't know. We need to wait and see Brazil without Neymar and see how that pans out. If Paqueta can sort of take that lead and when Neymar, if Neymar comes back, when he comes back. Um, I think the French, as we said, have, have looked very strong, but it's, it's still very early on in this competition. I thought Spain and Germany, as we said, one of the games of the tournament so far, both with their different styles, but, but potentially both looking good, especially Spain too. So... They will be they will be contenders and, and England, as we said, I think should go find this tournament. So it'd be very interesting. And as we always say, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but once once the knockout stage starts, it's a new tournament that starts as well, with with more pressure and more expectations. So that that would be exciting. I still think Brazil. Julie makes a good point about how they will react without uh, Neymar in there, and with you know four hundred year old Dani Alves at right back with Danilo out now. I still think they have the quality in attack to still go all the way. It'll be interesting to see how they do uh, today against Switzerland. I, yeah, still think Brazil. I don't think anyone's got anyone in the whole tournament's got that world class defence. So I think that's one of the things that gets levelled at England is the defence is a problem. But I don't think anyone in the tournament has got that that top class, top tier defence. And I do think if England do click and get it right going forward, I do think England just have the best options out of anyone going forward, especially if Kane's fit. So I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I haven't seen anyone that's, that completely leaps out at me and I think, oh, they're, they're way better than England. But I do think Mbappe is just far and away the best player at the tournament. So that if he stays fit, that France have got every chance just because Mbappe is on a different planet to everyone else. But yeah, there's not, I don't think there's anyone who stood out as being, you know, usually when the World Cup starts and you, after a couple of games, you think, oh yeah, they're, they're the ones to watch. I don't think there's a team that stand out as that so far, Julian? Yeah, no, no, you're right. We we said at the beginning, it's been a bit hit and miss, really, the level so far. I mean, we expected more from Argentina. Brazil, I've, I've only played one game when we record the show. So again, you need you need to see a little bit more from them. You need to see a little bit more maybe from, from the Portugal side that, as we've been saying in the last show, is so talented. So we, we will see. But again, it's, you don't win the World Cup in the group stage by being fantastic and you know shining in in the group stages this is not where you win it you will win it later on by being solid and then your point about a very good defense is important and and with your key players and your point about Kylian is very important then stepping up really this is where this I know it sounds quite simple but this is the way it is so let's see how this kind of group phase finishes and who qualifies and who not there's still so much at stake in in the law of the groups and then we'll have a better idea, I think, with the bracket on, on who will yeah. face who and, and how far they can go and all of that. But yeah, yeah, there's, there's still a lot, I think, twists and, and turns coming. Yeah, the pathways are very, very important. We, we, yeah. It will be easier to dissect what's going to happen when, when we can see those pathways. You, you were in danger of sounding a little bit like your hero and mentor, Gareth Southgate, then, Julian, with what you were saying about getting <laughs> through the group stage. You, you sounded a bit yeah. like the, the French but, Gareth Southgate there, Julian Laurent. <laughs> enjoyed it. I'm, no, I'm here. I'm here for Just it. Just to finish on guys, so yeah, and I, I'm not, I swear I'm not <laughs> picking, but on French radio, I'm obviously doing, you know, all the England, the Premier League, England, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he 
he frustrates me so much that I've nicked him the uh, the Sylvain Ripoll. Sylvain Ripoll is our France under-21 manager. And he's well-known because he keeps having amazing generations of players and never winning anything. And literally, the football is quite dire at times. So I've called Southgate, which is really mean, I know, but the, the, the English Sylvain Ripoll. So I'm, I'm hoping that Gareth like proves me wrong and you go and you win this. And, and then I, I promise I'll, 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 I'll apologize to him on the show. Uh, the French under-21 sound very much like the England under-21s of, uh, over the years with Eddie Bothroyd. Yeah, in, in, exactly. exactly the same. Must, be, must be an under-21s thing. That does us for today's iteration of Edge of the Box. We're back on Wednesday, I believe, with another preview show, so make sure you join us for that. Just so you know exactly when it's coming out, if you sign up for Who Scored with your post notifications on on YouTube, that would really, really help us. Thanks to Julian. Thanks to Ben. And as always, enjoy all the football and stay safe.